We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. March is Women's History Month. Not that you'd know that given all the headlines over the past two weeks. It seems more like Coronavirus Month. And perhaps that may help prove a point that issues important to and affecting women can get overshadowed, even if they're staring us right in the face. This weekend, we're going to look at those issues and the ongoing work to keep them center stage. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. This weekend is Felicia Davis, president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. It's an organization that raises money to fund programs that better the lives of women and girls, and it advocates for women's issues. Felicia Davis has led the foundation since last spring, and she brought with her the kind of vast experience you don't often see in one person. Uh, A Southside native, she was a police officer for a decade. Part of it as a detective in the Violent Crimes Division. She was former Mayor Emanuel's first head of community engagement. She was a policy advisor on public safety and headed up the Public Building Commission. I think she was also building commissioner for about a minute. I was. Um, And she's also been a college administrator. Um, As head of the Foundation for Women, one of her top goals is to help women and girls to feel safe anywhere, which sort of brings all of those uh, topics into uh, focus. Felicia Davis, welcome. Thank you for having me, Craig. Well, first, let's talk about the Chicago Foundation for Women and the kind of work that it does, because, uh, I mean, that's a broad a broad uh, palette that you have to work with. Yes, I'm, I feel very fortunate to be able to align my professional work with something I feel so personally passionate about, um, supporting women and girls and helping to see our communities change in ways that support them. Uh, The Chicago Foundation for Women, we've been around for, this is our 35th anniversary year, and for 35 years, we have been on the front lines providing crucial funding to organizations who support women and girls across a number of issue areas, including economic security and opportunity, freedom from gender-based violence, and access to healthcare and healthcare information. And a fact, a a fun fact, I guess, or maybe not so fun fact, is that Um, In 1985, when the foundation was started, less than three cents of of every dollar spent in organized philanthropy went specifically to issues for women and girls. Now, today, the number is less than seven cents. Um, We've made some progress. But when you start to look at um, intersection of of race and gender, for an example, um, 0.06% goes specifically to programming for African-American women and girls. So there's still a need out there for more specific funding. 
And you may have uh, started to answer the question I'm going to ask now, which is that in the months that you have been there, what new or deeper missions uh, have you undertaken? I'm guessing part of that is to focus more on African-American women. Yes. um, So really to think about the, you know, you can't separate gender from race. I once um, said that an experience growing up in Chicago as a black woman is a different experience than growing up as a Latina woman or native woman or white woman. And we have to understand those differences. Um, Part of my focus has been and will continue to be to really um, meaning deeply and meaningfully engage with communities and community members and to listen to the voices. Um, I firmly believe that women in our communities actually understand their needs. They actually have ideas about things that will help them thrive and grow. Um, what kind of outreach have you done to get those thoughts, those those ideas and there's those needs into the mix? We've gone out to um, community meetings. I have hosted or, or um, a number of meetings I'll, between May and November, as an example, at 230 external meetings. And so a lot of that is listening and understanding. So going to community meetings, we have uh, a good part of our work that we're doing um, uh, in Inglewood with women and families there. And so um, participating in some of the events there and other places. Um, The last time you and I sat down and talked for a while, it was about violence against women in its many forms. Uh, And I know that you've wanted to make inroads in in that issue, too. How has that gone so far? Yeah, I think this is one of those issues that often um, gets overlooked for women. Um, Traditionally, or for our 35 years, CFW has intentionally invested in organizations that are on the front line for gender-based violence, such as domestic violence, Um, and other forms of community violence. But last year, I think the last time we spoke, I talked about the fact that there were um, black women who were murdered or missing uh, uh, um, on the south and west sides of the city of Chicago. And since that time, there have been a number of murders of trans um, women on the north side of the city of Chicago. And the response to that hasn't um, equaled responses to other crises Um, And so um, we have uh, and will be awarding grants specifically around that issue area. We reached out to community organizations and many of which or many of whom um, we currently weren't currently in our funding portfolio. So a bunch of new partners um, who are right um, at the intersection or who are working in the community, who are um, grassroots organizations who are really um, this is what they do every single day. We had organizations reach out to us to um, talk about people in their communities who were missing or murdered. And so um, we hope to be able to help um, with the outreach and hope to be able to you know, provide the funding that can support and maybe change uh, a little bit of that. How much of the lag in those kinds of services and that kind of attention has to do with people in general, the public in general, not necessarily viewing the uh, the women uh, who were the subject in the same sympathetic light. For example, you know, a number of the uh, of the uh, women who were missing were sometimes uh, you know uh, people who were in part of the underbelly of society. Trans women have had a number of uh, challenges being accepted. 
that people just aren't necessarily sympathetic. It is telling that um, too often we marginalize um, people and their experiences. Um, and, and it's hard to, um, you know, not, I mean, for me, I understand that all of these things are related. And so that the lack of economic opportunity in a community may make um, someone make a choice that could put them at harm. Uh, but I, we firmly believe at the foundation, and I personally believe that no matter the circumstances, um, the women deserve, um, they deserve to be um, supported, they deserve um, our outreach, and they deserve our assistance. Uh, have you found that message being received well either by people in the public that you talk to or, more importantly, by organizations that could help? I have. I, and some of it, um, I think, is just the awareness. You know, when the when in the first instance, when the um, murders or the women um, started disappearing, there wasn't, a, you know, there wasn't a lot of attention to those things. As you talk to people and make them aware of those issues, I mean, I find that our donors in particular are extremely generous. And when we highlight specific issues and bring them to their attention, that they um, rise to the occasion and are more than um, willing to support. What makes this time, aside from it being Women's History Month, what makes this a time when the foundation wants to seek more visibility for the work that it's doing? Part of it is um, this is a pivotal year for one. The the work the foundation has been doing um, tremendous work for a long time and a lot of behind the scenes work. It is um, collaborating and convening and bringing people together. So the footprint of the organization is actually quite large. Um, We um, bring the leaders who work in domestic violence together um, regularly. We support um, a network. It's called the Eleanor Network, and all of those organizations are focused around economic security for women. We um, support leadership and individuals. And so some of it is that and some of it is, you know, this is the this year marks the 100th year anniversary of um, some women receiving the right to vote. And that's pivotal. I mean, it was really um, it took a long time to get there. And there were a lot of women who paved the way to make that happen. And so in light of that context, too, um, this year is a pretty significant year. It's also, I think, um, important because we are seeing some changes. We do have, you know, there is a generation of girls who are growing up in Chicago right now who see as their leaders at the uh, city level and are in the mayor and the clerk and our treasurer or the county board president or even our lieutenant governor, they see themselves reflected in those women. And so there is a generation of girls who are growing up um, and there are more um, women leading foundations, leading um, big foundations here in Chicago um, we have about 23 um, women of color who are leading foundations and working together. And so I think the, uh, the, the, time, uh, the timing of all these things makes it also a really important moment for women's um, rights and women's uh, foundations or women's movement. Now, uh, this is the timing <laughs> is very good for what, what you want to do. Maybe not so good for what you're trying to do. I understand that uh, CFW had an event planned for uh, this coming week. Uh, How are the celebrations being affected by the coronavirus uh, protocols that are starting to be put into place for so many gatherings? Yeah, 
we, um, you know, try to put people before a process or, or, um, or, or anything else. And so the safety of people um, is really important to us. And out of extreme caution, we have uh, canceled a number of public events. Um, one of those events was uh, a public event um, in partnership with the city's Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Event around uh, the transgen- around transgender and non-binary people and building an inclusive gender equity movement, that the movement for gender equity can't um, move forward if we don't include all those voices and all of those women. And so we were really looking forward to a day of learning and deep discussion uh, to break down some of the barriers and to break down some of the uh, misperceptions and misunderstandings. We were also looking forward to um, um, uh, celebrating a group of extremely talented women who have been working on behalf of women and girls in many different ways at our impact award ceremony next week, next week as well. And so that event, both of these events, we do um, intend to um, get them back on the calendar at some point. And so not canceled per se, but certainly postponed in light of everything that's going on. This brings up another point that we really ought to talk about. And that is uh, how, the thing, something like a coronavirus uh, outbreak, uh, can have a, a different impact on women than it does on, well, frankly, guys. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, typically, I mean, so the stats will prove this out. I mean, first of all, women are being paid less than men, and so the economic impact is felt. Um, many women work in jobs and and career fields where they are not afforded paid sick time. Um, women overwhelmingly provide the uh, majority of care that's given in our country and often um, at low pay and without benefits. So all of these things are coming together. If I, if I would say there's a silver lining is that in the public discourse, people are talking about um, paid sick time. It is really important and that it's being taken out of the context of only a woman's issue, which it isn't just a woman's issue. It's a family issue. It's an issue for all of us to be um, to really be thinking about. And so in that respect, there has been attention paid to the fact that a number of people um, and particularly women will go unpaid um, as this as the, the you know, I, the social isolation and all of the other closures continue to happen. Yeah, and that has health consequences because we are telling people to stay home if they have any symptoms. But if you can't afford to lose a day's pay, you're going to probably try and make it. That is very true. Um, too often people will push through, um, women will push through um, because they're sick, because they still have to get their kids to school. They still have to do all of these other things. And so you know, out of due caution, really. Um, I do hope that our um, elected officials um, at the state, federal and local levels come together to really provide some relief for those women and for people so that they don't have to make those type of hard choices. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Felicia Davis, president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. Well, if there is anything besides uh, COVID-19 that's been pushing traditional women's issues, and I say traditional women's issues because some of them are everybody's issues. We just think of them, like you said, as women's issues. Um, off the front page, it's been the political campaign season, um, except that we've had 
incredible, capable, strong women among leaders in the field of the presidential candidates. Uh, we've uh, in last year we it's, it seemed that there were more women running for office than ever before, and in many cases getting elected. Uh, how would you assess? the political landscape for women right now? That's a good question. And the key word um, you used there was we had um, capable, talented um, women who were running for the highest office in our country. And uh, still today, um, our country hasn't been able to elect a woman to that office. Um, I think that, and I, you know, I, I have, I have four, I have four sons and uh, a daughter and we talk about, we talk about everything, topics of the day and politics as well. And uh, I listen to even the way my sons talk about it and I caution them around um, some of the misogyny and the words that have been used to describe women running for elected office and to think intentionally about questions that women are asked that men aren't asked. Um, My hope is that still women um, persevere and continue to push forward and put themselves forward. I I, I think our um, President Obama recently said um, something really um, strong about the testament of women's leadership. And I, I hope that um, more people listen to that and heed it because women are amazing leaders and are able to um, understand big issues, but also are able to you know listen to the needs in a way that's different. Um, not better or or, or or worse, but different. And I think we need all viewpoints. Um, my personal opinion, and it's said a lot, that women need to be at every table where decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be still a struggle sometimes. I, I recall when we were talking about uh, even the mayoral election, uh, there's a, a political science professor at one of the uh, local colleges who, who pointed out to me that uh, you know, she said, you know, if, Race isn't the big hurdle that it used to be, but gender is the big hurdle. She said, you know, if uh, Lori, Lori, Lori Lightfoot is technically the third African-American mayor for the city of Chicago, she's only the second woman. <laughs> and so, you know, and yet in terms of population, women should have been out there in front. I mean, this is still... Something that it takes, I don't know, the political system, uh, something to get used to. I I agree. Um, The status quo has been um, really um, persistent in maintaining the status quo, I guess. Women right now make up 51% of our our, um, population and 53% of registered voters. Um, Women, there was an article earlier this year that women were outpacing men and actually just in the workforce. Um, we already know and have talked about before the um, that women are graduating college at higher rates um, and every degree category, but they're also carrying the load of student loan debt. And so all of these things are, are, are connected to each other. The, you know, carrying more student loan debt, um, being overlooked for promotions or managerial positions, having the capacity to fully support for your family. Um, being underpaid and often um, a lot of roles. And so all of these things really compound um, are compounded for, for women. How do we start to change that? Because let's face it, we're just going on the votes, as you point out. Women would should have them, if, they, if everybody went to the polls, women would outvote men. Why 
aren't women in power? So some of it goes to the messaging. We all are exposed to the same messaging. And it speaks to how um, it's ingrained in us about leadership and what that looks like. And more and more, we need to continue to challenge the narrative of what leaders look like. Our um, The CFW luncheon speaker last year um, talked about the fact that people didn't expect, uh, it was Elaine Welteroth, and she said, people don't expect a leader to look like me. Um, I will say the same thing. People don't expect the, a leader to look like me. I remember um, I have walked into meetings as any of the positions that I've held before as the leader of an organization, as a commissioner and, and city government, and have had um, the people we're meeting with talk to other colleagues and male colleagues um, and thinking that they were, in fact, the person um, that was, you know, leading or in charge of the department or the organization. And so um, we could have to continue to educate um, young, you know, children or um, our sons or daughters um, to make sure that they understand that leadership um, looks like them so that girls know that leadership look like them and boys know that leadership also can look like a woman. Well, I hope your son's uh, sisters are uh, continuing to educate him. Uh, I, I have only a son, and uh, so I think he's he's having to learn some things the hard way. But, uh, no, he's a good guy. But anyway, um, where are the successes coming? Tell, tell, tell me some good news. Well, no, I mean, there, you know, I don't mean to... Uh, I hope I'm not painting a picture as it's all dire, right? I mean, there have been a lot of strides. I talk about I talked about some of the political strides earlier. Um, there have been strides in um, women achieving um, the highest positions in the corporate sector and philanthropy across um, government and other entities. Um, pay, um, while there still continues to be a persistent pay gap, pay has expanded um, and opportunities have also expanded for, for women as well. Um. Where are you still seeing persistent resistance? I mean, is there active resistance? I think some um, some of it is is due to kind of like the political environment that we're in. There is a renewed um, focus and or um, push against um, women's rights as it relates to their bodies. Um, there is a, a considerable effort right now around reproductive rights um, to uh, unravel that for women. As a foundation, we have supported um, a woman's right to choice um, from our very beginning, and we fund organizations that help women. Um, but there are also um, challenges to um, other health um, in- indicators or access to health care for women, generally speaking, as well. Um, there, there are, when you look at, we've talked about safety a little bit, and um, so there continues to be work that's necessary there as well. And I'm going to want to talk about that in a, in a minute. But before we leave this, the societal things, the Me Too movement uh, has exposed sexual harassment and discrimination at the highest levels. Um, are men and frankly women getting it? I mean, are, 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 or are we going to need new laws to do it? What, where, where do we stand on that battlefield? You know, I this is um, really troubling for me. I um, someone very close to me shared recently that, and the work that she she did, she just assumed that these things were supposed to happen to her. That it was, you know, she was in the service sector, and that men would constantly make comments, and um, 
and she and she was crying as she said this to me. And it's very painful. And I think that what people don't understand is how dehumanizing that is. And so when I talk to men in particular around these issues, I um, say that women want the same things that they want at work. They want to feel, you know, they want to feel safe and what that looks like. I highlight the fact that when women are walking um, out of the office at night and it's dark, that they have to think about how am I going to get to my car, that they are possibly carrying their keys in their hand as a potential weapon and all those other factors. Um, I also say, you know, we can't um, afford anymore to say, you know, boys will be boys and and men will be men. Um, My position is that boys and men need to be accountable and that it's incumbent upon all of us because, you know, often you're in, you are in an entity where you've heard things or seen things. It's incumbent upon all of us to speak out when something is said and not um, have the woman to bear the brunt of being able to do that all alone. It, it, I have uh, seen some talk about how we focus on the victims, but in doing so, we leave the men, the people who actually committed the offense, completely out of the picture. Yes. And somebody pointed out the, the phrase, she's a battered woman, ignores the fact that there, a man existed in that at all. Right. Uh, and it is part of what needs to happen more responsibility being placed on men, more enforcement, frankly. Absolutely. And, 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 and calling it what it is. Um, the language around this, as you stated, so a woman is considered a battered woman. We will say that that is a woman experiencing domestic violence. Her whole existence isn't that entity. Um, we will also need to call um, men what they are. Too often, you know, when you you will see this, you know, um, someone who's and they'll say all of his professional titles or what he's done kind of like professionally we have to call men offenders when they have offended, and we have to be clear about that. Um, we have to um, be clear about rape and what that is and understanding consent. I am glad, and, and the foundation is glad, that the state of Illinois um, passed a law that was effective January 1 this year, teaching informed consent um, age-appropriate consent in public schools. And that's really important as well. And so more and more, as many ways than we can, to reinforce the notion of accountability, to reinforce um, personal responsibility and responsibility. How well are we doing in moving toward keeping women safe uh, so that they don't have to worry as much about whether they've got their keys in their hands? This is an area that I think um, we still have a lot of work to do, and because I think it goes um, unnoticed often. when I read the paper and I read a number of them or, or, or listen to um, the news, the crimes against women are often left out of the narrative. In Chicago, um, those issues don't get a lot of print. And we have to change that. You know, um, women in our city are equal citizens here, and they also deserve um, their issues highlighted and brought attention to. They deserve task forces um, to investigate and to elevate um, crimes. They deserve to be heard, um, whether that's um, when they um, show up for uh, at the hospital and are telling a medical professional about what that what has happened to them, um, or um, a law enforcement official. And they deserve um, evidence to be collected and processed, not stored and 
um, you know, warehouses or, or stock rooms. Are there any new laws that you are pushing for on that, on that regard, uh, or any other things for that matter? So we, um, we have been supporting efforts around the backlog of criminal sexual assault cases or um, criminal sexual assault kits. Um, we continue to um, work with and will continue to work with um, local law enforcement around um, representation and um, for women um, and um, for cases um, of violence against women, but also, you know, special consideration um, for them in those cases as well. That's going to be the final word. That is Felicia Davis. She is the head of the Chicago Foundation for Women. Felicia, thank you for spending this half hour with me. Thank you, Craig, for having me. Um, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue since it will be post-election. It'll probably be something about that. Uh, I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t